Today's reading is Genesis 32, 22 through 32. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please, tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. If you're new to Grace, we've been focusing, I've been focusing our attention as a community since the beginning of the year on living a life that blesses others. And we've been talking about this issue of blessing. And when you look at the Bible and you, you try to understand what, what does the Bible mean when it talks about blessing, it refers to life. Essentially, it refers to life. It's life that's created by God. It's life that comes from God. It's, it's life that gives life and extends life. And, and we've talked about one of the ways that we can step into blessing is as we, as we speak uh, as we speak good to people, as we speak God's favor and intention into people's lives, as we, as we pay attention to what it is that God wants to do in people's lives and we speak that into their lives, we're blessing them. And so when we practice this, this, this act of blessing, when we practice blessing, we're also partnering with God in his, in his bringing life to the world. So it's a very, very intentional act of partnering with God to bring his life to the world. And that's what we've been looking at um, since the beginning of the year. Of how do we do that this year? How can we step into that more intentionally? And so as we come to a story like this where we do see something of blessing, I think it also shows us something about God's ways. I think it reveals, this story reveals something about God's ways because a person's narrative reveals something about a person. Uh, that's why Hollywood is such a powerful educational institution, for better or for worse, because it tells very powerful stories at times. I mean, it's going to be celebrated tonight with the Oscars, where there's, you know, you're going to ask, the, if you're watching that, people are going to ask you, did you see this movie? And someone might say, oh, that was a really, really good movie. I, I recently watched Sicario. It's about the, the Mexican drug war. And for at least a week after I watched that, I was struck, I was haunted by the images, by the, by the story, by the complexity of, of what's involved in the, in the drug trafficking and the drug war with Mexi- in Mexico. It was fascinating, but it stuck with me. A good story will stick with you. And a good story tells you something. It tells you about life. It tells you about the person. And I think that this story that has been read to us today reveals how God often chooses to work in the lives 
of people who he then chooses to use as a source of his blessing to others. So I think that this shows us something about God's processes in people's lives. And what it shows is that he often brings these people to the end of themselves in order to bless them. He brings them to the end of themselves in order to bless them. And God will often first break a person to then bless a person. I think that's what this this story is showing us. And it's that process that frees us then to be a blessing to others. So what I want to do simply in the time that I have this morning is is I want to fill in a few details on this story that was read to us. And then I want to make some observations about how this might connect to our living a life that blesses others. So if you have a Bible, uh, we're looking at Genesis 32. There's a blue one underneath your seat. It's page 27 in those Bibles, Genesis 32. And I'll be jumping around in this, the text re, uh, around Genesis 32, so you might want to keep it open. The context of Genesis 32 is very important because 22 years earlier, Jacob had left home fearing that his brother Esau was going to kill him. And, and his fears were not unfounded because this rivalry between Jacob and his older brother Esau had started at birth. They were twins. Esau was the older, Jacob was the younger, but Jacob came out of his mother's womb grasping his brother's heel. In fact, his name Jacob means heel grasper. Now as an adult, he had dressed up in his brother's clothes in order to go in and deceive his elderly blind father into giving him a blessing of wealth and power. And you see that in Genesis 27. Esau comes home, he finds out that this has happened, and he vows revenge once his, once his father is dead. And you see that in Genesis 27, 41. So Jacob's fear is not irrational. So 22 years later, Jacob is returning home, and he gets wind that his brother Esau is coming out to meet him with a force of 400 men. Probably not a party. 400 men. The Bible describes Jacob as being in great fear and distress, Genesis 32, 7. And that's a significant detail because the Bible only occasionally takes the time to reveal the emotional state of people. So when it does, you need to pay attention. And so it describes Jacob as being in great distress and with great fear. Well, Jacob takes preemptive action. He sends some gifts ahead to his brother. And then he wisely divides his camp into two, thinking that if Esau comes in with these 400 men, he'll attack one of the camps, but not the other camp. And when they hear or they get wind that the one camp is being attacked and possibly slaughtered, the rest of the camp will be able to escape. He then waits for for daybreak as he faces the defining crisis of his life. And it's in this waiting that the famous wrestling match takes place. Look at verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, I chose this image to put up there for... It's going to be lingering up there for a while. Because I I googled um, some of the great art that captures this. Um, There's a Chagall window. There's all kinds of people that 
that do this, depict this image in art, in art history. But the interesting thing about all of them is they've got these kind of these static, giant person with giant wings and kind of this little midget of a guy trying to like wrestle him, hitting him about right here. So it's already a not fair match because the guy's like 6'5", the other guy's 4'5", and, and he's got giant angel wings. Now, if you read your Bible, it doesn't, it, it doesn't say anything about him believing that this was anything but a man. At least initially, it uses the word man. So I'm thinking, there you go. Two men wrestling. And they're wrestling all night. And it's a fierce wrestling match. And his assailant is not hiding giant angel wings under a robe. But rather, it's, he's, the text says that he's wrestling this man all night. And who is this man? Well, interestingly enough, the prophet Hosea, in Hosea 12, 4, and 5, later called this person an angel. And we know that angels also refer to their messengers of God. But Jacob is, is pretty sure, he seems sure, that he's wrestling a man, but not just a man, that he seems sure that he's encountered God himself. And so he calls the place Peniel, saying, look at verse 30 of chapter 32. He says, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Peniel means face of God. And he says, I have seen the face of God, and yet my life has been spared. So he believes that he has truly encountered God and has survived. So what's the result of this all-night wrestling match? Well, Jacob asks for blessing, and what does he get? He gets a limp from a dislocated hip, and he gets a new name in verse 28. It's Israel. So the people of the covenant from this part, from this time forth, are not known as the children of Abraham, the children of Isaac, or even the children of Jacob. They're known as the children of Israel. It was only when the kingdom later on was split into two in 922 that the northern, and the northern kingdom was taken into captivity by the Assyrians, that those who remained in the southern kingdom, which was known as Yehuda, were later generically called Yehudim, or Jews. But up to that time, they were known as the children of Israel. And names reveal character in the Bible. So this event marks the children of Israel as the people who wrestled with God and were blessed to be a blessing to the world. And how do we see this in Jacob's story? Well, it's interesting because he returns the blessing that he had stolen from his brother Esau 22 years earlier. Keep your finger here and look over at chapter 27, if you would, please. Chapter 27. I want you to see the blessing that he stole from his brother. This is Isaac being deceived, smelling the smell of his garments that smell like his brother Esau. And here's the blessing that comes forth in verse 27. See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Here it comes. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Wealth. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and bless be everyone who blesses you. Power. So the blessing that he stole from his brother is the blessing of wealth and power. And now in a reversal, 
as Esau is descending upon Jacob with his 400 men, Esau sends out gifts in advance to his brother. He's returning wealth. And then when he encounters Jacob, seven times he bows down, the text says, and five times he calls him my Lord. He returns power as well. So Jacob realizes that his future is now found in a second blessing that he had not stolen, but that his father Isaac had given to him. Look at chapter 28, verses 1 to 5. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. This is the second blessing. And directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite woman. Women, Arise, go to Paddan Aram and to the house of Bethuel, your, father's, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your brother's mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Are you hearing the echo of the Abrahamic promise? Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and then it says where he went from there. So you see, now Isaac in the second blessing is giving to Jacob something that he did not have to steal. He didn't have to dress up in his brother's clothing to get this. What Isaac was giving to him in the second blessing was the promise that had been given to Abraham all along. It was a promise of land. It was a promise of children. And so Jacob realizes that he's been blessed. He accepts his identity and role. And in chapter 33, verse 11, he says, God has been gracious to me. I have enough. And because of that, the, the, the promise that had been given to Abraham now continues. It continues through Jacob, through the people of Israel. It spreads to touch the world and finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And it's in Jesus that we we find that all are invited to become children of God. All can receive the blessing and life of God. And those who, are, who put their trust in Jesus don't inherit the land of Canaan, but they inherit the earth, Matthew 5. They inherit the new creation, as John tells us in the book of Revelation. So it's a much more encompassing, encompassing promise. That's the background to the text we just had read to us. So now the so what. How does this relate to our lives and to a life that blesses others? Well, as I said at the start, a person's narrative reveals a person. Your story tells other people what you're about. You can say, that's not me, but the reality is the way that you conduct your life tells you something about you. And as I said, as I said here that we see something about Jacob, but we also see something in Jacob's story about God. And in Jacob's story, God somehow wrestles with Jacob all night until he finally touches Jacob's hip and prevails. And for the first time, Jacob is forced to admit or come to terms with his powerlessness and his weakness before God. If you know anything about Jacob's story, he has always been at the top of everything. He's always come out on top. He's a deceiver. He's a cheater. He's a conniver. He's smart, but he always gets his way in the end. So for the first time, Jacob encounters powerlessness, weakness, and limitation before God. But it's in this posture of being limited, it's in this posture of being limited that he receives God's blessing 
And this frees him to step into the role of bringing God's blessing to the world. And that's what's so important to see here. So what I'm suggesting to you this morning is that this is a pattern. This is a pattern that's repeated throughout Scripture. It's brokenness before blessing. Brokenness before blessing. God shapes people by bringing them into a place of limitation, weakness, and disorientation. Let me say that again. God shapes people by bringing them into a place of weakness and limitation and disorientation. And you see that pattern throughout Scripture. If you want to look at a New Testament example, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he, he relays that he, there's a messenger of Satan, and he doesn't, he's very kind of nondescript about it. It's kind of vague. But he says that he brought some kind of a physical, what appears to be some kind of a physical problem. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. And he says that he asked God three times to take it from him, and God refuses. And what God finally tells Paul, he says, is that my power, my power is made perfect. And the word that is used there in the Greek means it comes to its intended completion. It comes to its goal. My power comes to its completion, its goal in your life through your weakness, Paul is told. There's the pattern again. So why does God choose this way of shaping people? If that's the case, why does God choose this way of shaping people? I think it's because in coming to the end of ourselves and experiencing our own powers limited, it's only then that we will truly put our trust in God. As I was praying over this this morning, one of, the, one of the, the words that came to me this morning was halfway measures. Halfway measures. I thought, what is that? And what struck me was the fact that it, I think that one of the things that can rob us of really living into the blessing of God and living a life in which God's blessing flows through us and we see God using us to touch lives around us is that we want half of God and half of life as we want it. Or whatever proportion you want to divide it up into. So when we come to a text like this and someone like me says that, well, wait a minute, maybe God's way of shaping us is really through limitations and weakness and disorientation. Who signs up for that? Who says, oh, I I definitely, sign me up. I want to be more like Jesus. Bring it on. Can it last for 10, 20 years? Oh, I'd love to have that long-term course. That would be great. The longer, the better. The harder, the better. The darker, the better. Just give me the advanced course in this, please. Nobody in their right mind would say, oh yeah, I, I welcome that. I want to speak to the young people right now. Younger people. That's about everybody in here. <laughs> now getting to that place in life. I want, you, I want to say something to you. I think this is an important word for you to hear Because 
there will be a time where you will face disorientation and limitations and will feel like God is not present in your life. And that is the place where all the, the little answers and cliches and bumper sticker theology doesn't work. And that's exactly in that moment of crisis where a lot of young people walk away and they go, Christianity didn't work for me. And part of it is because the parents never prepared them for this. Because the parents have been too busy constructing a life for themselves and not having this experience themselves. And you can spend your whole life creating a life for yourself and constructing a life that you want and your kids look at that and they go, that's what it means to live as a human being in America. And the goal is to, is to create a life in which you can avoid limitations, weakness, and disorientation. And guess what you pass on to your kids? The same goal of constructing a life that is free of that stuff. And you know what you miss out on? You miss out potentially on the powerful shaping of Jesus in your life. Because the pattern in Scripture is continually one of coming to the end of yourself brings you into a place of truly trusting God. Truly trusting Him. It says to me that, what that says to me is that in the stuff that I have experienced is that, yeah, I probably wouldn't really trust God or my trust is really about God, do this for me, and as long as you're doing what I want you to do, I trust you. But it's in slamming my head against limitations, weakness, disorientation, and darkness, and some of you are in that place today. It's there that God is present, and he's saying, I am doing my shaping in your life. My greatest work is coming right now because I am preparing to release you to bless others in ways you would never imagine and you would never sign up for. So don't run from it. I agree with Richard Rohr who says that God teaches us most profoundly through darkness and not just light. He writes, we only need enough light to be able to trust the darkness. Trials and darkness teach us how to trust in a very practical way that a good God is guiding us. I don't need to be perfectly certain before I take the next step. Now I can trust that even my mistakes will be used to my favor if I allow them to be. And I think here of Romans 8, 28, how God is working his purposes for good and for his glory. He goes on to say, this is a wonderful way to grow in human love, too, by the way. Darkness, mistakes, and trials are the supreme teachers. Success really teaches you nothing. It just feels good. He says, love is a source and goal. Faith is a slow process of getting there. And hope is the willingness to move forward without resolution and closure. Beautiful words. I think it's this process that brings us into God's blessing. We receive God's life as we come to the end of our striving to create a life for ourselves. It's in this place where we are then freed to receive God's blessing, to be a channel of God's blessing to others. 
We're freed from striving to create a life. And perhaps you need to hear today the words that God is not only for you, but God is with you in your darkness, your disorientation, your limitations. And maybe that's why you're here today, is just to hear those words. Yes, I want to affirm again that God is with you. He's with you. He's with you, Nick and Rachel. And he's calling you to trust him in the darkness. To trust him that he's in it for your good. And he's in it to shape you. Even though you can't see it right now, he's in it to shape you to be a person who more freely releases life and blessing to others. But you're also facing the challenge of will you stay with it? Will you trust in the darkness? Will you lean into him or will you take matters into your own hand? We were praying this morning before we came up here, as we always do, before we begin. And one of the things that, uh, a word that came to some people was just a sense that God, God wants to provide. Uh, it's the image of the, 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 the coin in the fish's mouth and how in that story God provides. And it's abundant provision that God will provide for you in the midst of a time when you feel like you're at the end of your own source, resources, and strength. So I want to take just a moment and allow you to talk to Jesus, maybe just affirm to him that you are trusting him. And that may be the only word you have right now. That's as spiritual as you get. Okay, I'm going to trust you. That's okay. It's okay. That may be the words that are the best words at this moment. Just take a moment and then I'll, then I'll pray. Father, you know who's sitting in this room today and who is listening and who is holding on just barely. Who is feeling like they're at the end and they feel like they are not known. They feel so alone. They feel isolated. They feel like no one cares. Or if anybody did know that they would be a burden to them and they wouldn't care in the end. Father, you know them and you love them. I ask that you would shower them with a sense of your presence. Embrace them with the warmth of your arms wrapping around them, encircling them, enveloping them in your love. In the places where these people who are wanting to run from the disorientation and darkness and weakness, I ask that you would assure them that you're with them. Not just that you are for them, but you are there with them. You're a God who has not stood off at a distant, at a distance, but you've come to us. You've taken on our flesh and blood, our humanity. You know what it is to be in these places. 
bring a word of encouragement. I pray, Father, right now for these people who are reaching out with their hands open, their arms extended to you. Pour out your spirit right now, I pray, Father. I pray that you would continue to meet us as we take this time to just be present to you. May we be present to each other after this time, Father. Give us insight. Give us the ability to listen as we bump into each other. There would not be just superficial conversation about Oscars and sports. We'd be sensitive to bringing life to the people who are here today. So please work. In Jesus' name, amen.